So uh, <clears throat> if you haven't found Second Chronicles 26 yet, I'm going to give you a couple more minutes. And then we'll just call a truce and you can give up and look at it later if you like. Um, Second Chronicles 26 is, is kind of a unique passage and it's one that I've been wrestling with and pouring over and enjoying and celebrating and then being beat up by. One of the things that, uh, if, if any of you have been so kind as to say, hey, thank you, the message today spoke to my heart, my response is pre-programmed and it's because it's honest. And it's, listen, if this week God whooped the stuffing out of me, then I gladly share that with you uh, today. So you're welcome. Um, I'm about to head into something that I have never done before. If you're a guest with us, it's not preaching. I've done that a couple times. Um, I'm about to head on to a sabbatical uh, for the summer uh, to say that I am not incredibly intimidated, insecure, and overwhelmed by it would be a lie. I am losing my mind, and I haven't even like been kicked out of the building yet. I am a doer. Um, I am a runner. I am a people person. And God wants me to quiet my soul over the next few weeks and months, as do your elders, and I am grateful for that. Um, why, why do sabbatical? I'm not going to get into the whole ins and outs of a pastoral sabbatical. We don't get one in the business world, any of that. I just, I'm going to point out two things for you. Okay? First, it's good for you, and secondly, it is very good for me. And that's very self-serving, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. First of all, for you. It's really good for you. Because for a lot of you, I've been preaching for the last six plus years here, and at this point, I've become Charlie Brown's teacher. Right? And so to have some other voices is not just fun and enjoyable, it's necessary, it's important. And so it is a gift for you to have other men come here and share the wisdom that they have as they've collected it over the years. Men who come from different churches, different denominations, different traditions, and yet hold to the same gospel truth that we hold to. And so my prayer for you and my enthusiasm for you is that this is, this is going to be a fun summer for you, and there might be a guy showing up in the back with one of those big noses and glasses trying to hide here, which would be me, um, some of them I want to hear preach. Uh, for me, uh, there's a lot of things. Um, I know you, it's hard to believe because I only work one day a week, so I understand it's hard to believe. I understand. <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, if I'm not intentional, and I've shared this with you before, if I'm not intentional, I become the person who's just pushing out stuff that he's studied and nobody's pouring in. And I would say to any believer, that's not healthy. Get in church. You need to be sitting underneath the preaching and teaching of God's word. And if I'm not more intentional, I miss that. And so it's for my soul. Um, (laughs) It's also a powerful reminder to work against pride. Because the beautiful thing is this sabbatical is going to remind me every week that I am not the only reason Uniontown Bible Church gathers every Sunday. I just show up to provide enough weakness so that everybody can go, that had to be God. But if I don't get out of Dodge often enough, um, I think Satan can 
can get my ear and I'd end up listening to them and start believing the lies. Like, I've got it all figured out. I'm untouchable. I'm holy. I got this. So as I'd wrestle with that part of sabbatical, this is the story that keeps coming up. It's a story that's about legacy. Legacy. And I, 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 this is not my legacy. I'm coming back. You're not getting rid of me forever. I hope. Lord willing. That's what James would have us say, right? But, but this, this legacy is something that I want to mark my entire life, and I'm praying that each of us would, again, this is the one that's beating me up, so I'm sharing it with you, and I'm praying that God applies it deep in your heart and you share wounds with me. So before I jump into this, let me ask you to do this. Just with the people you're with, or your family, or by yourself, or Google, if you'd like, how would you define the word legacy? Talk amongst yourselves. I'll give you like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. What actually is a legacy? Go ahead, talk amongst yourselves. All right, that was to cover for the fact that I'm old and I left my glasses over there and I had to go get them. So thank you for talking amongst yourselves. <laughs> a legacy, a legacy, use your definition, but the general gist of it should be some thing, some idea, some movement, some characteristic, some memory, some impact that you leave behind after you've gone on, Right? And all of us have some kind of legacy. Some of, us, some of us like to think we have like, oh, I had a legacy in high school, man. I was like the man. If only we could get a hold of your yearbook. Oh, uh, that'd be awesome. Um, I have uh, used this in the past. I, I enjoy reading, um, this is kind of a sick hobby, uh, tombstones. Tombstones used to be the place you could find the legacy of people. It's much more artistic now. I guess you could say you see some legacy there in the artwork that's left and gives you an idea of who the person is. But as, as you read some tombstones in the past, you would get an idea. This one is from Cripple Creek, Colorado, and it says this, this man called Bill Smith a liar. Legacy's there. Uniontown, Pennsylvania, which, full disclosure, when we uh, first were talking about Uniontown Bible Church, I did a lot of study on Uniontown, Pennsylvania, thinking the church was in Pennsylvania. So there's that. <laughs> Uniontown, Pennsylvania, there's a tombstone that says, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. <laughs> there are some, there's some incredibly passive aggressiveness that happens on tombstones. Here's, we'll go back and forth here. Here's one from New Hampshire. It says, tears cannot restore her, therefore I weep. <laughs> Sorry, that was funny. But wait. Here comes the other side. This one's in Burlington, Vermont. She lived with her husband for 50 years, and she died in the confident hope of a better life. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> you get some goofy stuff. This one is uh, Ennisburg Falls, Vermont. It says, here lies the body of our Anna, done to death by a banana. It wasn't the fruit that laid her low, but the skin of the thing that made her go. <laughs> so... So you can find anything. You, can f you look at these tombstones, and it, it, there's, there's messages. Mel Blanc, not like I'm swearing, but Mel Blanc, Mel Blanc, uh, the guy who did Looney Tunes, his tombstone says, that's all, folks. <laughs> it's legacy, right? That's his legacy. Then let's get more serious, mind. You go to James chapter 2, and what you find is the legacy of the great man named Abraham was friend of God. Now, we can joke about all those things. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want 
your coworkers to say about you when you're not around or after you've gone, your neighbors? How do you want your kids to remember you and talk about you? What, what do you want the history books to say? We're all going to have those memories. We're all going to have that legacy. The question is, what is yours going to be? You come to the context of what Kelly read for us in 2 Chronicles 26, and this is the point where if you haven't found it, just close your Bible. I got you, okay? Um, King Solomon, go back a few kings in the lineages here. Uh, he has spent time writing the book of Proverbs, and he's writing to his sons. And as you read Proverbs, you hear it's like, the, this is the fool, this is the wise. Don't be foolish, follow wisdom. Don't be foolish, follow wisdom. And you, you hear Solomon say that throughout the book of Proverbs, and it's like, man, you've got to put yourself in that situation. Like, what would it be like to be, to be his son? Well, Solomon becomes king, and he's like, sons, make sure that you follow the path of wisdom. Don't be foolish. Solomon dies, and his absolute moron, moron of a son, Rehoboam becomes king. And Rehoboam steps in to this country that his father had led and made so very prosperous and says, I need to turn the screws on these people. I'm going to overtax them and I'm going to be authoritarian in my approach. And by doing that, what ends up happening is the country splits. You have 10 tribes go to the north. That's Israel. You have two tribes that stay south, and that's Judah. And Israel in the north, I mean, it's not very long before Israel, those ten tribes are, are wiped out and gobbled up by the Assyrians. It's not much further after that. Actually, the southern uh, nation, the southern tribes, uh, are taken away by the Babylonians. But, but now you, you're living in a kingdom that's fractured. Um, you're living in a kingdom that is surrounded by your sworn enemies, Internally, in your country, there is just mayhem and chaos and violence and murder and political divides and hatred. Does that sound familiar to anybody? And God's master plan for his people at this time is found in verse 1. All the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in place of his father Amaziah. God's plan for his people at this time was a king who had just gotten his learner's permit. Hmm. But look what he does. Look at, look at verse 4. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his father Amaziah had done. Verse 5. He sought God throughout the lifetime of Zechariah, the teacher of the fear of God. Think about that for a minute. Here's this 16-year-old, and I'm going to put words in his mouth. So, okay, Bible's here. This is Frank's opinion over here, okay? So don't get those confused. But I can imagine Uzziah at 16 looking at the chaos, knowing that his granddaddy had been assassinated. His daddy had been overthrown by the king of Israel. And now here he is stepping into this role of king. Everybody's eyes are on him. Everybody hates him. He's the king. What's he going to do? I don't know. And so he, he meets up with this man, Zechariah, who is known as a teacher of the fear of God. And it says he seeks God under the leadership of this man, Zechariah. Have you put yourself in that kind of position? Have you come alongside somebody and said, I have no idea what I'm doing, but... I need you to speak into my life. I need you to speak truth into my life. I need you to disciple me. I need you to teach me what it means to fear the Lord because to understand the fear of the Lord is to know that you are small and he is not. It's to know that he is awesome and you are not. 
Understand the fear of the Lord means you understand how to approach him with the right balance of awe and wonder and familiarity and enjoyment. If you fear the Lord, Proverbs tells us, there is wisdom to be had, there is confidence to be had, and that's what you see come out of Uzziah as as he begins to rule the kingdom. Look at verse 6, he went out to wage war against the Philistines, tore down the wall of Gath, the wall of Jabna, the wall of Ashdod, he built cities there. God helped him against the Philistines, the Arabs living in Gerbaal, and the Munites, the Ammonites are paying tribute. I mean, this dude is, is, is like the picture of what happens when you fear God, and he brings you this confidence, and he brings you good success. He goes out, and he begins to wipe out all of the enemies. He, he, he's got a group of them bringing tribute back to him. And it says, and this is a, a statement you cannot miss in verse 8, his fame spread as far as the entrance of Egypt, For God made him very powerful. His fame spreads far and he becomes very strong. People now know the name of Uzziah. And you should know the name of Uzziah too. Many of us hear the name Uzziah are like, ah, Isaiah, that was Isaiah. It was the year that Uzziah died that Isaiah was brought into the temple of God. Yeah, yeah. You know what the name Uzziah means? The Lord is strong. His fame is spreading far. It's getting to Egypt and people are talking. Man, have you heard about Uzziah? Have you heard how he wiped out the Philistines? Have you heard about how he's going after the Arabians? How he's taken off the Munites? Have you heard how the the Ammonites are bringing tribute to him and, and, and filling his coffers full? This guy, everything he touches is going well. He continues to do amazing things. He's won this battle and that battle. Do you know Uzziah? Do you know the Lord is strong? Then he begins dealing with all these issues within his own country. He rebuilds the walls in verse 9 that were damaged both when Jerusalem was attacked and after this huge earthquake that had occurred. He's shoring up the defenses of the, uh, of the city. He's, he's building towers for protection. In the, he's building towers in the desert so people could stand upon them and, and be the lookout and have like a, an ancient security system. In verse 10, it says that he dug wells. He built cisterns. He would dig into the limestone and then, then he would line the walls with more limestone so that the, the rainwater would fill up those cisterns, would fill up those walls, and he could water the animals. He could, he could water the, the gardens. I love that phrase in the middle of verse 10. Because he was a lover of the soil, he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills, in the fertile lands. He pursued those things that gave him enjoyment. He had a huge army. And it was a different kind of army because it wasn't the army of the old where the old armies would come, like, I'm ready for battle. Okay, what'd you bring with you? Well, I got a shovel. And they would bring their own weapons. Uzziah's doing so well. He's providing armor. He's providing the weaponry. He's providing all of these weapons. In fact, so much so, I love the, the English Standard Version says that even he even provided stones for slinging. That kind of pictures it pretty well here. It's instead of just sling stones, stones for slinging. This huge army continues to be at his command. He built things on top of the walls to allow them to shoot arrows and to throw rocks at the enemies safely. And again, in verse 15, you get this again. End of verse 15. His fame spread even to distant places for he was wondrously helped. 
So now you've got your, your own internal people talking about, man, Uzziah, the Lord is strong. Uzziah is an amazing king. Look what he's done for us. What else could we want? He's, he's such a unique and creative guy. Not only is he unique, he loves the soil, but he's creative in that he's, he's built these catapults which, which the world had never seen before. He's, what else could you want? Uzziah is the man. And that all happened right there because, middle of verse 15, he was wondrously helped. Done. Close the book and go home. It can only go downhill from there. That should be his legacy. Age 16, he seeks God. He comes underneath the tutelage of Zechariah, the man who's going to teach him about the fear of the Lord. He pursues the fear of the Lord. God blesses him. God creates in him the ability to lead and to lead well. The fame of Uzziah, the Lord is strong, spreads around the world. And he gets to that place where it's like, look at everything. I have been marvelously helped. But then you hit the significant snag. His fame spread even to distant places, for he was wondrously helped until he became strong. That's a not-so-subtle shift away from his name. No longer is it the Lord is strong. Now it's the king is strong. Verse 16. When he became strong, he grew arrogant, and it led to his own destruction. He acted unfaithfully against the Lord as God by going into the Lord's sanctuary to burn incense on the incense altar. This priest, Azariah, along with 80 brave priests of the Lord, went in after him. They took their stand against King Uzziah, and they said, Uzziah, you have no right to offer incense to the Lord. Only the consecrated priests, the descendants of Aaron, have the right to offer incense. Leave the sanctuary, for you have acted unfaithfully. You will not receive honor from the Lord. So let me, let me stop there. So, so here, here Uzziah, who has been marvelously helped, suddenly is strong in himself. And it says it leads to his arrogance. It leads to him thinking he can do whatever he wants to do. Arrogance. The unthinkable and yet all too common place of seeing your ability, and your strength, as equal to that of God. I mean, this, this guy's not a pushover king. It's not one of the weak ones. He's got ability, he's got talent. And when those things were submitted to God, as he sought God, as he learned the fear of God, what God was doing with that was amazing. But, but the danger is, and that's, it's what it leads to here, is I can, I, I can do no wrong now. So he goes in, verse 16, he goes in with his own offering of incense into the house of the Lord. Exodus 30 is abundantly clear. That is the responsibility for priests and only priests. So as he walks in, uh, Azariah, the high priest, and 80 very brave priests go in after him. These pastors were ready to throw down. That's my kind of pastoral sabbatical. I'm going to go full-on UFC. <laughs> but they're standing there like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't come in here. This is not for you. This is not your job, what you are doing, King Uzziah, is going to lead to your disgrace. Disgrace is the outcome of trying to honor yourself. Verse 19. 
Uzziah, with the fire pan in his hand to offer incense, was enraged. Don't you know who I am? I mean, who do you think you are? That word enraged is the same word that's used in Jonah chapter 1 when it's talking about the ocean raging before Jonah's tossed into it. As he is enraged, he continues, the middle of verse 19, when he became enraged <clears throat> excuse me, with the priests, in the presence of the priests in the Lord's temple beside the altar of incense, a skin disease broke out on his forehead. So picture that. Picture that in your sanctified imagination for a moment. Here's this king who was nothing, God has helped him all along the way. Amazing things have happened. His reputation has grown, and suddenly he's like, I am pretty awesome. Because they didn't have his yearbook. I'm going I'm to take care of this priestly duty myself. I'm the king. I'm going to be the priest too. And he takes the stuff, and he walks in into the temple, <clears throat> and then behind him comes the high priest and 80 very brave priest ready to throw down right there on the spot and they confront him and he is enraged and you can see it happen it's like and it says as he turns to speak to the priest leprosy and you thought being 13 years old was hard leprosy breaks out on his forehead and we're not even sure that he is aware of it but look look who is Look who is, Azariah, verse 20, the chief priest, and all the priests turned to him and saw that he was diseased on his forehead. You can see the shock on their face when they see their king now covered in a death sentence. It says they rushed to him, and they rushed him out of the temple, and he himself also hurried to get out because the Lord had afflicted him. So King Uzziah was diseased until the time of his death. He lived in quarantine with a serious skin disease, was excluded from access to the Lord's temple while his son Jotham was over the king's household governing the people of the land. He is brought outside of the temple. He is even brought outside of the land. He is relieved of all his duties. That word quarantine here means to no longer perform the functions that you are supposed to be performing. We are told in Leviticus 13, here's, here's this for you, the person who has leprosy is to have his clothes torn, his hair hanging loose, and he must cover his mouth and he must cry out, unclean, unclean, to keep everybody away, by the way. That's what that's for. He'll remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He must live alone in a place outside the camp. Verse 21, King Uzziah was diseased until the time of his death. And there's his legacy. There's his legacy. Instead, instead of it being marvelously helped, wondrously helped, he's become that guy with that disease because of his arrogance. Instead of it being the Lord is strong, look how much he did through King Uzziah. It has become the Lord is strong. Let this be a lesson to you. What happened? How, how, how does this happen in the life of King Uzziah? How can that happen in your life? How, how can that happen in my life? I think we get a clue right out of the gate. 
when he first started, he was seeking God consistently and regularly and constantly and unwaveringly. You and I must be seeking God the same way. Seeking isn't just showing up in church on Sunday morning. Seeking isn't just listening to a Christian radio station. Seeking means investigating, examining, searching, turning over every stone, seeking with care and genuine concern. The idea of seeking carries with it the intensity of looking for something that is so very precious to you that you don't know what you're going to do if you can't find it. Seeking is the same feeling and spirit of looking for your lost child. Our seeking cannot be dependent on our circumstances. I think, I think perhaps Uzziah was seeking because uh, Zechariah was alive. But, but it can't be dependent on those circumstances. It, it can't be just when things are going well, we look for them. In fact, I'll, I'll say the opposite. Typical uh, average American Christian actually seeks God when things have gone horribly wrong. We have a panic button faith instead of seeking him when everything is going well. So, so, um, You've got to be seeking today. Let me explain what I mean by that. And this is the one that I'm concerned about the most. Um, some of us had a really good run about 20 to 30 years ago when it came to our relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, we, there, there is real visible evidence of a, a vibrant relationship with Christ and, and, and the effects have spilled out all around, around it. But, but you can't live off the effects of yesterday's seeking. You, you can't live on last year's dinner if you're going to run the race. God, God certainly has given uh, me, personally, the, the late 90s, <laughs> sounds so old, late 90s, was, was, was a period of time in my life where I went through the most refining and pruning process I've ever been through and still have ever been through. And, 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 and that scares me because I want that intensity. I want the Holy Spirit to keep putting his bittersweet finger in my soul, but that only comes when I seek him. Are you seeking him like that? Uh, Uzziah starts thinking he is the source of his strength, even though throughout the whole story we're reminded over and over again, God gave him success. God gave him success. God helped him with that. God helped him become very powerful. God uh, helped him in in wondrous ways. But our our pride deceives us into thinking we've got it all figured out. We've got the answers to all the questions. We've got everything we could possibly need. We never need to admit weakness. We never need to come alongside somebody and be like, I need your help because I got this. This is... There's a, a dramatic loss of self-awareness that happens in the king's life, and it can happen in ours if we're not careful. The king was never supposed to perform the priestly duties. He knew that. But somehow in his mind, it's, I know who I am, I know what I've done, and I'm going to do whatever I want, and there won't be any consequences. Sowing and reaping applies to everybody else, but it doesn't apply to me. And, and then, on top of that, Our pride and our arrogance keeps us from hearing rebuke from people. Do you notice that when when, when, um, uh, 
Uzziah's in the temple. And he's confronted by the high priest and the other priests. His response is fury. Enraged. How what gives you the right to call me on this? Man, Uzziah had a moment. It's crazy. He didn't have leprosy at that point. He didn't have leprosy the moment he walked into the temple with, with the incense. God was giving him an opportunity to hear rebuke, to be confronted about his sin, and in humility repent, own his sin, and walk away. But when we've become arrogant, we cease to hear rebuke, no matter how loving it may be when it comes at us. See, that is not what I want for me. But if I'm not intentional, that's exactly who I will become. <laughs> Here's the dangerous side of this. I'm not asking all of you to stop me next month and be like, hey, let me tell you what's wrong with you. Okay, that's what I'm asking for. But at the same time, do we have the heart to hear rebuke? And, and honestly, it's, there's times where rebuke is like, well, that's not even close to accurate. But are you willing to hear it, own your sin, process it? Repent when confrontation comes your way. So what's your legacy? Where's your legacy stand right now? Let me, let me share a little bit of good news with you. This is really good news, actually, the whole thing, but that's okay. If you're here this morning and you are in Jesus Christ, and let me take a pause and explain to you what that is. If you've come to the place in your life where you have admitted with your mouth what the rest of your life has demonstrated to be true, that you are a sinner, and you are helpless to do anything about your sin on your own. And in your sin, you have been separated from God. But God loved you. And he gave you his son to die where you should die so that your relationship can be brought back together. And Jesus Christ, willingly laying down on the cross, took the penalty that you deserved and then went to the tomb and then gloriously raised again from the dead so that you could be at peace with God knowing that you live out of victory, not out of fear. That's what it means to be in Jesus Christ. If that's you this morning, if you are in Jesus Christ, your legacy is already set. You have been wondrously helped because the Son of God has given you his righteousness, not by any of your own doing. But you've been washed clean, white as snow, clothed with the righteousness of Christ because of what he's accomplished for you. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to live like that? Are you going to live like Jesus Christ is who he said he is? Are your priorities going to look like Jesus Christ is who he said he is. Are you going to seek him with everything you have? Are you going to understand, admit, and fully own the fact that you have been wondrously helped? May God give us the grace and strength to do that, not just today, but for a long time to come. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and pray with me? Father, thank you for your good word. Thank you for the fact that in Jesus Christ we have been forgiven and set free. Now, Father, I pray we would live like it. 
I pray that we might live like that is absolutely 100% true because it is. I pray, Father, that these folks who are sitting here this morning would, would, would understand the riches of glory that you have provided for them. I pray that Christ would dwell in their hearts through faith. I pray that they would be rooted, that they would be firmly established in love. I pray that they would, they would wrestle with what it means that, 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 that there is a love that is loving them that is so broad, so deep, so wide that they can't comprehend it. May they wrestle with that. May they know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. And Father, I pray they might be filled with all the fullness of God. May we all seek you, and may we seek you with the full understanding that you are not hiding, that you promise that if we seek you with our whole heart, we will find you. So, Father, fill our eyes full with Jesus and Jesus today. Amen.